Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning. There are, is a lot happening for this Passion Week Easter celebration. We want to invite you to be part of it, invite your friends to be part of it. I'm looking forward really to the next several days. This is a time we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This weekend is Palm Sunday. And I tell you, I don't know how long it's been, but for several years we've celebrated Palm Sunday with our kids' choir. And I and I love it. I remember when our kids were in it, and now our grandkids are in the kids' choir. So that that just that just has great memories and it really does something for my heart to see kids worship the Lord and lead us in worship and We're going to continue to do that in just a little bit. We're going to continue to worship the Lord. But this Palm Sunday weekend marks the last weekend that Jesus spent on this planet. You know, it's always interesting to me what people do and what they say in their last moments of life. In her final words, one woman asked her husband if he had turned in her absentee ballot for the national election. Now, that's something that uh, you don't hear very often. A wife said to her husband, I've loved you for 70 years now, and I would do it all over again. And then there was the great-great-grandmother who had outlived most of her family. She'd outlived most of her friends. She called over her nurse, and she whispered in her ear, and she said, I just wanted to say goodbye to someone. Here's our question today. If you knew you only had one week to live, what choices would you make? Here's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. He said, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took 12 aside, and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be flogged, and to be crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And then Jesus does something. He instructs a few of his disciples to go to a nearby village, to go to a certain person and find a donkey that has never been written before and and tell its master that it's for the Lord. And what this does, if you weren't aware of it, what it does is it fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And that prophecy reads like this. It says, see, your king comes to you, righteous having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. And what the people did when they saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem is they got palm branches and they laid those palm branches out and it made a wonderful procession, a way for Jesus up into Jerusalem. And what this did is it fulfilled other prophecies as well. In fact, it's a refrain from Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26 where the people in Jerusalem were singing Hosanna. It goes back to this passage, and it says, Lord, save us. That's really what Hosanna means. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so there was this wonderful crowd that was worshiping Jesus on this Palm Sunday, the Palm Sunday that we celebrate today. I didn't know, I don't know if you know this, but there's going to be another time. Just in case you missed that first Palm Sunday, which we all did, 
There's another time that God's people are going to gather together and do almost the very same thing. So you don't have to feel like you're left out because in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, and this is the John the Revelator speaking, he says, After this I, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that had no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. You see, we get to do this. We get to celebrate like these folks celebrated, but this is the final victory that Jesus has. This is the final triumph of our Lord. You see, no one knew what was really going to take place that last week except Jesus. He knew it was going to be his last week on this planet. He knew that 28 prophecies were going to be fulfilled in the coming week. And this got me to thinking, look at the choices Jesus made. In fact, there were some 33 choices he made over those final six days of his life. And today what I want to do is I want to look at only four of those choices. And we're going to focus on a four of those choices. And these choices made me really think. What choices would I make if I knew I only had one week to live? What decisions would I make if I only had seven days left on this planet? I don't know if you've ever approached Palm Sunday and the week of passion with this mindset. How would you live that week? What decisions would you make? Would I spend my time in regret? Would I spend my time with friends and family or would I shut down emotionally and isolate? Would I spend my time with my grandkids playing catch and eating as much ice cream as we wanted to? What would I do? What could I learn from Jesus' last few days on this planet? What are the things that he can teach us this morning? Things that will teach me how to live my life right now, this very moment. Because no one really knows if today is our last day on this planet. The Bible says that our numbers are counted by the Lord. Only the Lord knows the days of our lives. What Jesus did in his last week can help us get the most out of each and every day. And each day that we've been given is a gift. It's a treasure. It's a blessing. If you're like me, oftentimes what I do is I just string days together, weeks together, months together, and I look back after years, and you think to yourself, did I really stop? Did I really pay attention to the hours that I was given, the moments that I was given by God as a gift to me? It's a wonderful thing to look at the life of Jesus because what Jesus did in his last week was really what he did all of his life, but it's just increased. It's just accelerated. It was a display of his commitment of the things that really mattered to him, the things that were the most important things to him. And here are a few things that we can really learn from Jesus in our time together this morning. The first is this, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to just fill in the blanks. The first is this, that Jesus entered into intense personal prayer. That's one hallmark of the life of Christ. And we see that especially in the last week of his life. How many of you have a difficult time praying? You don't need to raise your hand, but it's just difficult for, for you to pray. And, and even when things are going well and the, the, the sailing is smooth, you somehow get distracted. Your, your attention to prayer is short-lived. 
And we really aren't that much better when the crisis comes. We pray during the crisis, but usually the way we pray is, Lord, get me out of the crisis. I mean, I I wish this time was over. I don't like the trial I'm in right now. When Jesus prayed, the way he prayed is he said, Father, let your will be done. That Jesus lived his life in full surrender to his Father in heaven. In John chapter 17, he prays that his mission is complete. In verse 4 it says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. He says, Heavenly Father, I brought you glory in my lifetime. Now in the last week of my life, what I want to do is I want to continue to bring you glory. Jesus said on the cross just four days later, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished He said, my mission that you've given for me is perfectly completed. And I asked myself, if if God were to call me home this week, could I say, God, it is finished? Not that I am finished, but the plan that you gave me, the purpose that you had for me in life, is that finished? Is it completed? Did I give God glory? Did Did I do my best? Jesus prayed that he wanted to bring God glory through his life and his mission. And wow, when I look at this, I I think I want to bring God glory in the attitude I have, the relationships I have, the choices I make, the future I possess. Let it always come from my lips and come from my life. God, may you be glorified. Because that's exactly what Jesus did throughout his life. And we see that in the last week of his life. He also prayed for unity of God's family. In John 17, verses 20 and 21, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. This prayer was given on a Monday, and it's the longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus. His passion was that the church would be one because he knew Satan's most powerful weapon is sowing discord among his people, among God's people. And isn't that true about our relationships? That what Satan wants to do is he wants to sow discord in our marriages, in our families, and in our churches. Jesus places a high premium on our unity with one another and we're constantly to work for it. That's really the impetus of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that you work for unity. And the truth is we won't always have it. There'll be times of disunity. There'll be times of of disharmony. But what he's saying here is that we work for unity, that unity is a goal of ours. It's a hallmark of our Christian faith. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he did what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then reconciliation is one of those things, one of those characteristics that would mark your life. I know that this is a difficult thing to do. It's a challenging thing to do. But it takes humility. 
It, it, it takes brokenness. It takes surrender to come to that place and work for reconciliation because there are certain things that you need to give up in your life to have reconciliation, one being your own pride, one being your own agenda. The Bible says that what Jesus prayed for here was for reconciliation, for harmony. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a wonderful passage, and most churchgoers know it. It says that where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. And most of the time, the way that we've labeled that prayer is we've labeled it, or that that gathering, that scripture, we've labeled it as a a prayer anthem. We've labeled it as something that guides us through prayer. And certainly it does that, but that's not what Jesus was getting at. That's not what the scripture was getting at. It was saying where two or three get together and work out conflict in their life— When they come together for reconciliation, the promise is his presence will be there. God loves it when his people work through their differences. When they're able to gather together. One reason that we oftentimes find ourselves in disagreement is we're so easily caught up in the non-essentials. The things that really don't matter, our own preferences. Our, our, our own issues. You know, when I was growing up, uh, before I'd walk out of the house to go to school, I, I remember my dad saying, who had been in the army and now he was a, a, a coach, he would say, hey, son, tuck in your shirt. You can see I didn't learn very well from him. but You know, I, I, I think about that and what it reminds me of is sometimes the differences that we have uh, can be really non-essential. The, the way that we look at church, the way that we look at people in church. I thought today that I could come and please those who had their shirt tails out and I could please those who had their shirt tails in, so I thought I'd just tuck half of my shirt in and make half of the people that tuck in their shirt happy and the people that untuck their shirt happy. But you see how silly that can be at times is that we get caught up in the non-essentials and what really matters, what really matters to us is that we know that the Bible is the infallible word of God and that it is the instruction of our life and how we live. We know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and by him comes salvation. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. We know that the Holy Spirit is our power. And that it's through him we're given the ability and the strength to be his witness in all the world. We know that making disciples is what we've been called to do. These are the essentials. And if you've been around here for a while, you've heard this saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus prayed for. He prayed for unity in the body of Christ. Second is this. Jesus affirmed his radical commitment to truth. We have this interesting conflict that takes place and sometimes it's hard to explain to people what was going on right after Jesus went up into Jerusalem through his triumphal entry. What happens in the last week, Jesus went to the temple and it's explained to us in Luke chapter 19. It says, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. 
Yet they could not find any way to do it because all of the people hung on his words. You know what I hear? I hear that God's people must live with integrity. They must live with the truth alive in their heart, that you would walk your talk. You see, in the temple, they wandered from God being the center of their worship. That's what had taken place here. And when Jesus had gone up in that last week of his life and he looked to what was happening there, he realized that the institution of of religion had created barriers between God and the ones he loves. And he saw those barriers and those barriers were represented by money tables and he turned those over. And what he was saying is, I want, I want God and people to get together. I want, I want people to know that God really loves them. And this isn't the portrayal of God's love. Because the money changers were extorting people while they were in a place of worship. They were charging the, them these high prices for their sacrifices. And what was going on under the table is the money changers were giving a cut of the profits to the priests. And Jesus saw all this and he, he wasn't going to settle He wasn't going to keep silent. Jesus spoke and he acted on the truth because he knew truth was frequently compromised. In the last week of Jesus' life, he chose not to be silent, but to speak the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Parents, I, I just have a word for you as you're just raising your kids that you would find the essentials of your faith and you would, you would anchor those in the hearts of your children. That you wouldn't compromise the truth in their life. God's truth. Annette and I have had some time to reflect over the last few weeks and we've been talking about areas that we were weak as parents. We were talking at, about areas where we had failed. And it was a good time to really reflect. Thank the Lord for his redemption. Thank the Lord for his saving grace in all of our lives. But one of the things that I want to encourage folks to do here today is don't let the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the things that really matter, don't let that slip away. Because it it doesn't happen overnight. It happens a little bit at a time when they're younger and Then when they get a little older, believe me, if you're having a struggle with holding on to the truth when they're younger, wait till they turn, (laughs) wait till they become teenagers. (laughs) Hold on to the truth. Don't compromise the truth. Speak the truth. The third is this. Jesus shared a meal with his friends. This is beautiful to me. That in the last week of his life, there was one thing that he wanted to do One thing that was a passion of his, and that was to spend time with his friends. In Matthew 26, it says, He replied, Go into the city of a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and he prepared the Passover. Jesus invited his friends to have one last meal with him on earth. We call this the Last Supper or the Passover meal. Jesus was with 12 closest friends, and he poured out his heart. He, he, he just unfolded for them the things that were in his own life, his own heart, his own mind. He talked about 
He talked about his future and where he was going, that he was going to, to die a death. He was going to suffer for the redemption of all mankind, that he was going to be raised again on the third day. But he does something else, and I imagine that it had to be painful for him. He talks about the future of his disciples. Two in particular. He, he bears his heart. I can't imagine the pain that he felt telling the others that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him, that Peter was going to deny him three times. That had to be difficult. But in those days, sharing a meal together is a sign of the deepest kind of relationship. What is so important to us are the friends that we've contributed to and the friends that have contributed to us. Do you have a table, a place reserved in your heart for friends? Do you have a few close friends that that you know that you can gather around you? And that, that, that you can share your heart A place to laugh, a place to cry, a place to share your dreams, and a place to even share your disappointments. The last thing here is that Jesus took care of his family. While Jesus was on the cross, he saw his mother watching him die. I can't imagine how excruciating that was. In John chapter 19, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, And Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, which is John the Beloved, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. How painful that must have been. A mother watching her son being nailed to a cross watching her son be ridiculed, to see the brutality her son was enduring, to hear and to see his agony. And how painful that must have been for Jesus to look down and see his own mother in pain because of his pain. I I can't imagine the face of a mother who sees her son or child in pain. I know when I was growing up, I I caused my parents fits, and especially my mother. And I remember coming home one time after a series of injuries. It was one of the last times that I, I was living in my house, and I showed up, and I was all bloody, and I was beat up. I was cut up. And my mom saw me. She was standing in the doorway, and she dropped, literally dropped to her knees, and she said, I can't take this anymore. Kind of shows you the kind of son I was. But I saw the pain in her eyes, and the pain in her eyes was worse than the physical pain that I was going through. And Jesus was looking into his mother's eyes, and I would imagine in her own heart she was saying to herself, I can't take this anymore. I can't take it. Jesus says, dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple John, here is your mother. Jesus knew that he was leaving this planet. He knew he was taking his last breaths, and he wanted his family, his mother, to be taken care of. So He gives her over to John the Beloved. 
the pain Jesus felt, I can't, I can't fully understand, but Jesus let her know just how important she was in his life. Notice that Jesus doesn't call her mom. He doesn't say mother. He uses another term. He says woman. And there's a few reasons he uses this term. One is woman was a term of high respect, of high regard. And the other is it's a term of separation. That what he's saying is he is no longer just her son, but he is now even more than that, her savior. And that he was passing her off to John. He was taking care of her. He was making sure that her last days would be well for her. The last person Jesus talked to was his mother. That says something about how important family relationships are. What is it that you hear family members say when they lose one of their own? And I've heard this said on several occasions. I wished I would have told them one more time that I love them. I wished I would have said more to them about how much I love them. The instruction, the thing that I gather from this is all of us have family. Maybe not biological. Maybe, maybe you aren't in a place where your family is close to you. Maybe you don't have family around you. But there are brothers and sisters in this room who are your family. There are grandparents who are in this room that are great grandparents. This is called the family of God. There is a place that you can be in a family. Annette and I just celebrated our 37th year of marriage. And uh, we couldn't think of a better way to celebrate than with, you know, with our kids. Since we hadn't died that week, you know, we, we thought that it would be good to get together. And so we got a- around the table together and we just enjoyed one another's company. And what I felt in my heart was I was so full of joy. I was listening to the conversations going on. I was listening to the laughter. I was listening to the exchanges that were taking place at that table, and I was I was full of joy. I was full of joy for a lot of different reasons, but one is because I could see they loved each other, and the other is because I know they love the Lord, and and my heart was full. On the way out, we kind of moved through the crowds, got outside the door. It was raining, so we stood under the awning, and we got to pray together right outside of this restaurant. We just prayed a blessing over each other's lives, that God would just bless us, that you have an opportunity in the days to come to let your family know how much you love them. Call your family members and do it soon. Don't wait. Let them know that you care. Maybe they live miles away. Maybe they live across the country. But let your families know how much you love them. Parents, call your children. Children, call your parents. Call your grandchildren. And let them know how much you really love them, how much you care for them. If I knew I only had one week to live, what choices would I make? Well, I hope I would model Jesus not just for a week, but for the rest of my days. That I would pray, that I would pray that God would be glorified in my life, in my mission, 
that I would reaffirm every day my commitment to truth, that I would spend time with close friends, and that I would take care of my family. These are things that were so important to Jesus in that last week of his life. And they should be important to us as well. As you go into this next week, we call it the Passion Week. Would you take time in your day and your moments and think about what Jesus walked through, what he had done to purchase our salvation? Why? Because he loves us. He cares for us. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? And I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. Lord, we just thank you for this time together that we celebrate your triumphal entry. That what you began to do that week, set in course, set in place, our redemption. The choices you made to glorify your Father in heaven. The choices you made to love the friends and the world around you. Astounding. And today we are grateful for that. We thank you for the salvation that you bring to us. The joy that comes to our heart knowing that our Our life is secure in you. Lord, may the blessing of God's Spirit rest on all of us here today. Lord, bless this time as we just continue to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. You are a great God. And we thank you for your greatness today. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.